0: Welcome to Rage Against the Mainstream, your full-spectrum source for all things music, insight, and opinion. Today's date is November 1st, 2021. My name is Bill, and I guess you're just the regular co-host now. I could be the regular co-host now. (laughs) For those of you that have been living under a rock or haven't been (laughs) listening to the show, I'm introducing Michael. (laughs) Hello, everybody. How are you doing, Michael? How's it been since the past week? Good.
1: Everything's good. (laughs) Crazy weather, but good.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, it's nice that we're getting out of the ninety degree days and the super high eighties I'm done with that, but um, yeah, I mean, I could probably do without the rain,
1: yeah, the wind and the rain
0: so have you encountered anything new or interesting in the past
2: week?
1: Yes, i
2: read a funny story about Led Zeppelin
1: there um Sorry, I got to itch my eye. <laughs> the um, the song, Black Dog. Yeah. The the way if you if you listen to the song, the Black Dog is not mentioned in the song. Yeah, actually, I I yes. Yeah, the way they named the song, is they were re- recording the song at the studio, one of the studios out in the country. And a black lab just happened to walk into the studio.
0: Are you serious? That's, 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 that's how they got the, the name of the song. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and they decided they didn't have a name for the dog. And they said, and the dog was real friendly. He said, well, let's just call this song Black Dog. And that's how the song got titled.
0: <laughs> that's almost like how we came across the name of this podcast, too. Just like out of nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> that's actually really, I, I've always wondered why that was the name of that song. Yep.
1: Cause they've never, never was never mentioned ever. No, it's cause there was a friendly black lab that was roaming around the farm and <laughs> they happened to walk into the studio as they were recording the song.
0: That's so funny. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know how I'm going to top that one. Cause that, <laughs> that's like one of those, um, like the seven wonders of the world It's like the eighth wonder of the world. Yeah. <laughs> um, my new and interesting for this week is Jerry Cantrell. This past Friday, released uh, Brighton. Um, it's his last, or it's his newest solo album from. Um, I think Dedication Trip Part Two came out in like two thousand two or four, so it's been a very long time. And fans of Jerry Cantrell solo stuff and Allison Chains would really enjoy this. Um, it's got more of like a southern rock or regular rock type feel to it. But it's still Jerry Cantrell. Um, I think my standout track off this album is the title track, Brighton.
1: Why did it take so long between albums?
0: Uh, uh, Alice and Chains got back together and they were just, you know, they they were on that. We talked about it before in the show. It's just like the whole, like, you know, record, tour, record, record, Mm -hmm. tour, that whole thing. They were just on that path. And it was it was funny, like I mean, right before COVID happened, you could be guaranteed every year around August you're gonna see Alice and Chains in Camden.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> but um yeah, I mean, for fans of Jerry Cantrell or Alice and Chains in general, this uh this album's definitely something to check out. I enjoyed it.
1: On this day in music history.
0: On this day in music history, November first, nineteen fifty nine. Elvis Presley's current stint in the US Army means that for the first time in nearly 5 years no Elvis single resides on the Billboard charts. That that's something that that's something that would never happen in today's world.
1: No, no, no. Elvis was doing his his duty. He got drafted. Mm-hmm. And he everybody said it would be good publicity don't go in and and be uh try to be different, be like a regular soldier. And that's what he did. Yeah, um, he he lived with everybody else, all the other privates. Uh, he helped them. He, from what I read, he bought them TVs for the for the barracks, and he bought new fatigues for everybody. And he donated his, his army salary to charity. Now that's cool. Yes, and he was just one of the guys.
0: Yeah, something like that would never happen in today's world. No, no. Ever. Elvis was yeah, one of a kind. Yeah. We talk about this all the time.
1: Yeah, and he, um, but they also had enough recorded material of his that they kept putting stuff out while he was in the <laughs> army. So there's really no break in Elvis' music. They were still able to yeah, release music. That's funny. Was, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he you know, and while he was in Germany, he also met. That's where he met Priscilla in Germany. Yes, I guess his fa- her father was an army. She was an army brat, I guess. Oh, ah, okay. And she was, of course, she was only fourteen at the time, and they got married seven years later. I think when she turned twenty one. But that's where. So she he wouldn't have met her if he didn't wasn't in the army and got stationed in Germany. That's funny. Yeah. So. <coughs> Elvis doing his civic duty at the time. Yeah, right. Okay, in 1985, on November 1st, the Recording Industry Association of America, the RIAA, agrees to some demands made by another initial organization, the Parents Music Resource Center, PMRC. As a result, any album deemed to contain Offensive lyrics must be issued with a warning label, or the lyrics must be printed on the sleeve. Most record companies went with the labels, which doesn't hurt the sales at all.
0: If anything, it probably made it better. Probably made the sales more because all the all the cool albums had the parental advisory sticker on them.
1: Yeah, this <laughs> this I mean this was a big deal. There were hearings in Congress.
0: Yeah, that's where that famed uh, D. Snyder one came from where he actually is like a competent human being, but you never know it.
1: And Frank Zappa. <laughs> Frank Zappa was one of the biggest opponents to this. Really? Yeah, he he testified before Congress. This is against freedom of speech. Yeah. You know, if, if there's books written that have explicit language in it, there's no sticker on the front of a book. Yeah, exactly. You know, it, it, it's... It's infringement on freedom of speech. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, if parents have to do a little more work. Yeah. Just find out what their ch- children are listening to and if they should be listening to it or not. Here they're trying to, to put a sticker on it saying, hey, there's explicit stuff on here. Yeah. You know, there's arguments on both sides.
0: Well, you know what's funny is that back then, music was very tame compared to what it is now. Yeah. And like you hear the stuff that comes on the radio now and it's like back then that shit wouldn't have flown in the no. 80s.
1: <laughs> yeah. Every new release now would have a sticker on it.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: (laughs) (laughs) that was a big deal.
0: Yeah, and uh, that was uh, led by like Tipper Gore, wasn't it? Al Gore's wife. Yeah. 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 Um. Yeah, that there was that 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 was everybody was under fire for that. Yeah, I remember the big one was like uh, remember Wasp was on there for um fuck like a beast I mean
1: yeah go figure but (laughs) and the whole thing with Frank Zappa was his music didn't have any of those lyrics no but he was one of the biggest opponents of it and just for freedom of speech it's like yeah you, you know this is we're allowed we're allowed to write music and if and if you don't write music however we want to whatever words are in there and if you don't want to listen to it don't yeah, exactly. If you don't want your children to listen to it. Don't let them listen to don't it. Don't let them listen to it. You have to do your do your homework. Yeah, exactly. You know, uh, it's the same with TV. If it's a TV show coming on back then and you didn't want your children to watch it, you didn't let them watch it.
0: Yeah, exactly. And it's you know. Nowadays, there's no controlling that kind of stuff. No, they don't um, even bother with the parental advisory stuff yeah, anymore. Modern
1: technology, you can listen, see or listen to whatever you want whenever <laughs> you want it. But back then, it was a really big deal.
0: Oh, yeah. Speaking of big deals, here in 1994, Mariah Carey's album, Merry Christmas, is released. By the end of the year, it has sold over 3 million copies in America, becoming one of the most popular Christmas albums of all time and home of my favorite Christmas song, All I Want for Christmas. (laughs) See, like, Christmas music has always been kind of cheesy to me. Right. But, like, that particular song is, like, different because it's not, you know,. The 15th rendition of Rudolph the Red-nosed reindeer that you've heard before.
1: Yeah, Mariah Carey, she was big. I mean, she still can sing. I mean, back, she was, just could sing, had that natural talent. Oh, she, yeah. wasn't, she wasn't very liked as per, her personality. Hmm. but she could sing. Oh yeah, there, there's no you
0: can't take that from her at no. all. I mean, it was <clears throat> funny. What was it a couple years ago? She had done like all I want for Christmas is you on like New Year's Eve or some yeah. shit I don't know, and like they had like they had pulled the audio from the microphone, and it's like like, oh my God, like she can't sing anymore. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds like David Lee Roth on stage now,
1: and yeah, she could sing she was very um she was very popular back there in those days, actually, if
0: I remember correctly, I think I was watching the David Foster documentary, and they did a thing like a part where um, Celine Dion was recording something and she couldn't like hit like a note or something or she was struggling with it. And I think one of the tactics that he said was, well, Mariah Carey's in the next studio over. I can see if she can do it for you. (laughs) (laughs) That's another one too, if you haven't seen it, the David Foster one, very, very good documentary.
1: Yep. I think he's so so underrated. You you don't hear enough about him and everything, Mm -hmm. everything he did as a producer. He brought Chicago
0: back. He yeah. he made them even bigger than they were. Yeah.
1: And he wrote a lot of good he wrote a lot of great songs too, you mm-hmm. didn't realize. Okay. 1994. Nirvana's MTV Unplugged in, in New York album, taken from a performance a year earlier, is finally released. The album tops the charts in many countries including the US, UK and Australia.
0: Yeah, I mean I've I've liked Nirvana's Unplugged. Um we've we've had this conversation before, not me and you, but me and Steve and our previous co-host. And um I feel like Nirvana's Unplugged is overrated for what it is compared to like the other unplugged offerings including Alice in Chains' and Pearl Jams. I think that they're better than Nirvana's, but Nirvana, for some reason, had the more iconic one. Yeah, Eric Clapton. Yeah, Eric Clapton's <laughs> one was great. Stone Tell Pilots did a really good one. I mean, it, it, pretty much every Unplugged is really good, but Nirvana's, I think, gets like this giant level of credibility that I don't think it deserves.
1: It was this concept at MTV, because MTV was... MTV was constantly in your face. Yeah, exactly. And music was always in your face. Boom, 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 in your face, in your face. Somebody came up with an idea. Of, hey, let's give these people acoustic guitars, put them on a round stage and see what they can do. I don't know who came up with the idea. Yeah. But it was actually brilliant. <laughs> yeah. Because I remember one of the, if I remember correctly, one of the first ones was with Metallica. Probably. Uh,
0: hold on, I'll look this up while we're sitting here.
1: And they all showed, they showed up with their electric guitars and everything. And they were like, oh, no, no, this is unplugged. You guys need to play acoustic guitars. And they were like, "Uh, we don't know what to do. (laughs) So many artists had to, it was a challenge to them. And it wound up being really, turned out really well for a lot of them.
0: Let's see. The series first aired November 26, 1989, featuring Squeeze, Sid Straw, Elliot Easton, first three episodes featured Aerosmith, Elton John, Sinead O'Connor, Poison, Joe Satriani, Stevie Ray Vaughan, among others. Um, yeah, I mean, there's been everybody. Mm -hmm. Everybody that's anybody did, um,
1: Yeah, once they they saw it, once they saw and saw what it was about, like, hey, we should do that. Yeah, exactly. And, um, So it turned out to be a big thing.
0: The only... I I guess the real reason why Nirvana's Unplugging New York did as well as it did, not only because Nirvana was the Megalodon band that they were, but it also came out a couple months after Kurt Cobain had died. So, you know, this is like the last thing you're going to hear from Nirvana until they released those box sets where they had absolutely everything else on them anyway. But... Yeah, I mean it doesn't it doesn't surprise me that it topped the charts and anything because everything Nirvana put out you know sold. Uh 1999 with getting music over the internet still a novel concept and technical challenge, Third Eye Blind offer their signal or sing yeah, single anything exclusively online. It's free, but it can only be played for 3 weeks. I don't think I remember this song anything.
1: I don't, I don't remember this either. I just remember that when the music started coming out over the internet, it was, it was a a free for all because all of a sudden all these file sharing and do you pay or don't you pay? How do they keep track of royalties? Who's playing the music? Who isn't?
2: It's uh um, Okay, not gonna understand why I haven't heard this song before. Eh.
1: But see now you can just pull it up and yeah, seconds.
2: exactly.
0: <laughs> we got it in real time now. Yeah,
1: you can pull, you can pull it. But back then it was like back then, yeah, it was brand new, and it's like okay, first came the CD. I was like, "Wow, you have music on this little disc now." And then all of a sudden it's like, "Okay, you can get it over the internet." First of <laughs> all, can you most people didn't have internet yeah. service at that point. And if you did, you had the the um the modems, so it probably took 3 hours to download.
0: Yeah, could you imagine <laughs> if you spent that kind of time? Like I, I do remember sitting in front of the computer downloading music and it'd take it taking forever. Yeah. Could you imagine sitting in front of the computer like being a third-eye blind uh, third-eye blind fan? And like waiting for this song. And like you're sitting there for like three hours and you absolutely hated
1: it. <laughs> and then you can only play it for three weeks. Damn, that's.
0: Well, they probably had site like space or whatever. It took up too much memory on the website or too much space on the website.
1: <laughs> but it's free. But you can only be. How can they put a time? I guess they knew how to put a timer on the file that was only good for three weeks. And then it would. And then the file wouldn't be any good anymore. That's crazy. Yeah. When times have changed,
0: yeah, I know. Now, <clears throat> now you can just rip shit off of YouTube. Yeah, I, I do it all the time. <laughs> I mean, <clears throat> I pay for everything I listen to.
1: That's <laughs> <laughs> that is why all the major artists have sold their catalogs. Yeah, to a publisher or some type of media company. Yeah. Every day you hear of somebody else so selling so and so sold their entire catalog for two hundred and fifty million dollars to this so and so company, so they can get so they don't have to worry about royalties anymore.
0: Yeah, exactly. Well, that's the thing. I think the days of like seriously big money being made out of the music industry are over.
1: Yeah, right. And that's why they did it. Yeah. So I just come. I'm some invested. Live off the interest. I'm done. Yeah, exactly. I'm out. out, You know. and, And hey that's what they do and yeah these exactly com- these companies can take that music <laughs> and do whatever they want with it put it in commercials put it you know
0: well this is one of those things they're going to do it anyway yeah yeah I think um, what was it I think it was like Right Now by Van Halen was uh going to be in a was in the Kodak commercial mm-hmm. and they originally didn't want to sell the rights or you know to the song and they, from what I've heard I forget what interview it was but someone basically said to them like either you're going to like let us do this, or we're gonna get a band that's gonna cover it, and it's gonna sound just like it. And so they made the right choice, I guess. <laughs> I do remember that commercial though, the yeah, Van Halen yeah. right now one.
1: Yep, yeah. and um, that's been used. Right now, it's been used on a number of commercials.
0: I think Pepsi too. Yeah Pepsi, yep. yeah, Pepsi used it. yeah, Pepsi used it. Pepsi was the one where it happened. Yeah. Okay,
1: okay two thousand five. Black Sabbath is inducted into the UK Music Hall of Fame by Brian May of Queen. The band plays "Paranoid" at the ceremony, and Ozzy moons the crowd, feeling that they aren't rocking hard enough. Typical Ozzy.
0: Yeah, it sounds like something he would do. Something like he would do, yeah. In two thousand five, you know, he was he was off his rocker back then.
1: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but. <still> <laughs> I don't think he was ever on his rocker.
0: Yeah, <laughs> Black Sabbath is one of those bands I always wished I could have saw live. Just, just for the, just to be able to say like I saw Black Sabbath. Yeah. Because <laughs> I mean, I, I love their music. I love Ozzy, obviously, but like Black Sabbath, I feel like is like one of those bands. It's like seeing like Led Zeppelin, yeah. except Led Zeppelin was a little bit more. Uh, like, if you had seen them, it's, like, more, like, treasured because they only had a short amount of time. Black Sabbath did, like, four farewell tours.
1: <laughs> yeah, and, and seeing Ozzy on stage was just, he was a showman. hmm So, it was always a treat.
0: Even till today, he is. Yeah. Like, even his, even the, you know, the last tour he did, I saw, and um, he still brings it mm-hmm. every night. <laughs> so, speaking of Ozzy and Nirvana and Mariah Carey and Elvis Presley they all have albums that are considered some of the greatest of all time now I don't want to talk about albums that are the greatest of all time I want to talk about the albums that are the greatest of all time to us and by that I mean albums that you can't skip songs on Um, from start to finish you can't you can obviously you can click skip but you don't want to because the album is telling a story or it's just, it's just good. Every, every song on it is good. Um, I have a few and I see you have a giant
1: list. mine kept growing. I don't know why (laughs) I I looked at the titles on the album. Like, yeah, I just put this on and let it go. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Um, I guess I'll start with the oldest one first. Well, oldest one on my list. And it should come as no surprise, Van Halen 1. Um, I have that one also. Yeah, from start to finish. It, you, yeah. the, you can skip a song, but there's no reason to because yeah. all of them have a good energy from start to finish. I mean, you start out, you know, with Running With The Devil and you end with Ice Cream Man. And it's just this whole big thing with the eruption in the center. It's like yeah. you went to a rock concert in your car.
1: Right. Yep, that's the way it was. Yep. I used su- to. I'm gonna leave for gigs or whatever. Just put that in. Yeah. Just let it go. <laughs> <laughs> it, <laughs> it's an undeniable album. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. So Van Halen won,
0: 1978.
1: 1978. I have ones older than that.
0: <laughs> that does not surprise me.
1: No. Um. Now with the Beatles, you can you can you probably say oh every Beatles album is great and everything, mm-hmm. but. Abbey Road is probably their one album that you can start to finish and it'll just let it go. Most of the second side's a medley anyway. Um because the ones it just they go into each other. But the entire album there's not a bad there's not a bad song on there that or a mediocre song that you would skip.
0: Abbey yeah. Road's my personal favorite from the Beatles.
1: Yeah. So that would be the one from the Beatles that I would pick. Uh, I have Zeppelin 2 and 4. They're both great. And they didn't have a bad song on them. No. Yeah. One, for me, Zeppelin 1 got a little boring. Sometimes it was their first. Some of the stuff got a little long and drawn out. Um, but it's Zeppelin. But 2 and 4 are the ones for Zeppelin that I think.
0: Oh, yeah. Um, staying in, you know, the hard rock and heavy metal realm, uh, the next one that I have is ACDC's Back in Black.
1: Yep, I have that one, too.
0: That's another one where it's just from start to finish. Like, you can skip songs, but there's no reason to. All of them just flow together, and by the time it's said and done, you haven't even realized you spent an hour listening to an ACDC album.
1: That's, I think... And now you're all hopped up too. Yeah, I think, I do believe it's in the top five selling albums of all time.
0: Yeah, yep. And there's a reason for it. Yeah. It's it's such a good album. And you know, you have the Brian Johnson and the you know uh, Bon Scott purists that you know don't like Back in Black and it was the commercial one and blah blah blah. But
1: you can't deny
0: how good, no, it, was. It,
1: was good. it was. Yeah.
0: And in my opinion, I don't think ECDC have topped it.
1: No. Now, um, another old one, <clears throat> which is a little off track, is Crosby, Stills, and Nash, their first album. Okay. Okay, a lot of people would say Deja Vu, which came later, but their first album, if you look at the track list on their first album, it's just it's not a bad song. On it.
0: Now, is that, is that when Neil Young was in it? No, was it-
1: this was just Crosby, Stills, and Nash okay and um yeah it just starts and keeps going and there's nothing not a bad song on it
2: um let's see here continuing on my list here
0: uh, another undeniable one thriller
1: yep i (laughs) have that that one too yeah like (laughs) i looked at that song list i'm like there's two songs on there that aren't as well-known as the rest, but they're great songs. Mm-hmm. If you listen to them, it's like, whoa.
0: Absolutely. Thriller is another one of those. It's just it's just perfect. Yeah. I mean, Quincy Jones knew what he was doing. It's funny, too, because I've often thought about it like, when they were recording this album, did they think that they were getting ready to make the biggest album of all time? Yeah. I don't think they knew that, but they knew they were making something that was going to stand the test of time. I mean, and it's funny too because the the personnel on Thriller. I mean, actually, I'm gonna I'm gonna type it in here real quick because I want to. I definitely want to be right. Um, the uh, people on or the musicians on this album. I mean, it's just absolutely nuts. Um basically you had Toto.
1: Yeah, Toto was the
0: Toto was essentially the band behind it. I mean it, i mean, you can look here. I mean, if you're watching this on YouTube, you can see the amount of personnel that was on this album.
1: <laughs> yeah, just having Jeff Procaro just yeah. playing drums is
0: yeah, and having Steve Picaro playing the uh, playing uh, keyboards. I mean this album had Paul McCartney. Mm-hmm. You know? And of course, you know, you cannot forget the um guitar solo played on Beat It. Van Halen.
1: Eddie Van Halen, right?
0: Yep. And I feel I mean, I'm not gonna say thriller soul because Eddie Van Halen was on it, but I do feel like the fact of him being on that album. Made thriller appeal to the rock audience as well.
1: Yes, it definitely broke barriers, um, crossed the boundaries, it broke racial barriers, um, especially on MTV. Oh, yeah. Before the Michael Jackson videos, MTV was basically a white music channel. Yeah. All white music. And then it all comes Michael Jackson with all, with the, across the, the thriller video, which. Yeah. Brought <laughs> everybody to another level.
0: Yeah, one of the greatest music videos of all time.
1: And all, and then it became okay. Well, it it broke those racial barriers for MTV.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, Billy Jean was a mega hit too, but the Thriller video was like the one. But yeah, that's uh, that's another undeniable one. Thriller is just undeniable. There's a reason why it is one of the best-selling albums of all time and they're going to remember this album way longer than they're ever going to remember anything that you and i have ever done
1: <laughs> yeah every single song is is, <clears throat> is unforgettable yeah every one of them and um uh, i mean you could tell he was coming up to that from the, the the album before that you could tell he was about to the album before that um off, the, off wall. the wall before that, yep, and you could you could see what was happening yep, and then you knew something big was coming, and then once this one came out, it lived up to it yeah, I mean
0: there was there was a lot of good songs on uh off the wall too yep.
1: yeah, and it was leading it was that's what it was leading up to
0: yeah, but yeah,
1: that's how he became the king of pop.
0: Yeah exactly. That, that was the album that did it.: What else you got on your massive list, Michael?:
1: I'm going to go progressive a little bit, okay With um, yes um, There's a lot of choices, but I think it's close to the edge because you got the whole first side is close to the edge, and the second side you got "And you and I and Siberian Katrue. so you just just keep going. <laughs> and right, as, as close to the edge figs out at the end. The acoustic guitar starts for the beginning of "And You and I. And at the end of that comes the introduction to Siberian Catru. And it just keeps going. You just... <laughs> before you know what it, it's done. It's,
0: That's the thing. I kind of feel like it's unfair because you only have three songs that you could skip. And if you skip right. one, it's the whole album. Yeah, yeah. With regressive <laughs> stuff, yeah.
1: The same thing with Genesis. I mean... With, oh, yeah. With Genesis, um, the earlier stuff... A lot of people would say Selling them selling by The Pound... But I look at Foxtrot, which was an earlier album, which um to me, I mean, it had Suppers Ready on it, which was twenty um twenty-five minutes, but it also had some other really, really great songs on it. And there wasn't there wasn't a, a bad one. I mean it had Watcher of the Skies, which is something that everybody uh, recognizes by from them. Um uh, get them out by Friday and can you tell the coastliners? These are, these are songs that if you listen, they just go right down and timetable was that little, that one in the middle. It was a little mechanical, but it, but it broke, it broke the album up. Yeah. So it wasn't all in your face. It was like this starts out with a watcher, this big theatric thing. Then timetable comes in, settles you down and then, Hitch in the face again with a couple more songs And then the whole Supper's Ready thing okay. So that, from, to me, that's the album With Genesis that you Listen to from front to the end
0: Now it's saying that Side two Is Horizons and Supper's Ready Does Horizons go into Supper's Ready?
1: Yeah, Horizons is just a short Acoustic number
0: that goes, That's a part of that
1: Yeah, It was kind of like an intro to Supper's Ready
0: That's crazy I wonder why they just didn't make it like just that one track.
1: Um, well, no, because Supper's Ready has a, has a definite beginning. Oh, okay. But uh, the acoustic, but you, it's like you can't do Supper's Ready without doing Horizons because it's kind of this little intro thing. <laughs> and it's like people are expecting it and then they expect you to go into the, it's, yeah, it's when we play it, that's what we have to do. Yeah. They're always played together.
0: <laughs> um, my next one here, moving up into 1983, is uh, "Sports" by Huey Lewis and the News. Yes. Um, I mean, just from start to finish, it's just it's just great. The entire album. Like you don't. That's the thing with Huey Lewis and the News, and it it really makes me mad that more people don't listen to them past you know, like Power of Love or Back in Time or, you know, just like the stupid songs because they have out because they have sports. That's just amazing. It's just, they're just one of those bands. You can't really pinpoint exactly what they are. They're just Huey Lewis in the news. Mm -hmm. And I also, I do feel like they're another band where it's like you either love them or you hate them. And if you love Huey Lewis and the News, then sports is definitely the album that you're not going to skip one single track on because there's no reason to.
1: Yeah, I had four top 10 hits. Wow. Plus the rest of this. Yeah, there was just, they had a sound. Yeah. And uh, with his voice. Now they would call it dad rock. But the, the yeah, dad then, rock. <laughs> the uh, yeah, I remember when this came out, it put them over, over up over the top. You knew they were there. With their first couple albums, but then this one did it.
0: Oh yeah. It's just there's a there's a great band. Or were a great mm-hmm. band. It's unfortunate they're not together
2: anymore. But um yeah, sports. Um Now when we talk about Rush. Okay. Rush is a tough one. Um,
1: for me it is. Because there's a if you listen to their albums, to me, there's always great music, but then there's always one or two kind of filler songs. That's just the way I see it. Yeah. I mean, there's Hemispheres, Signals, and Permanent Waves. Those are the, those are the well, not in that order, but that's, those are the three big ones. Yeah. But each of those has a song that could be like a throwaway song. So I don't know. I, I, permanent Waves comes the closest to me. Signals became more shorter songs, more pop oriented. Not well,
2: progressive yeah.
1: pop oriented songs, but if Permanent Waves is the one that comes the closest to one that you would listen to from front to front to end.
0: Yeah, I mean, I've I'll be honest with you, I never sat down and actually listened to an entire Rush album. Uh, I'm I I like Rush. I'm a fan of Rush but I'm more of a, uh, like, the, sing, like the singles-type mm-hmm. fan. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, like I know songs off of, off of all the albums, but I've never sat down and actually listened to an entire one. I think, though, based off the track listing, I feel like I would have to say that Moving Pictures is my personal favorite. Then again, I've never listened to uh, The Camera Eye or which I've actually never even listened to side 2 of <laughs> Moving Pictures but it has more songs per capita for me at least
2: What else you got there Michael Moving Pictures Yeah Oh okay <laughs> <laughs> This was Jethro Tull, I
1: can't, I'm still staying more progressive kind of. Of course, their Stick is a Brick, which was one big giant song. Yeah. So when you listen to it, you had to listen to the whole album. Because that was a song. Yeah. But, if, but the,
2: the Aqualung album. Okay.
1: They said it wasn't a concept album, but it was. It was a concept album.
0: It was based off that the the character Aqualung. right? You know, the and, it was,
1: guy. and it was all based off of religion and God and all this, and all the songs kind of relate to that. And you need to listen to the whole thing to to, to hear what's going on and understand it. And um, all the songs are great because he because Jethro Tull Ian Anderson was good at having these albums, and he would put a little. Uh, little acoustic guitar ditty in there somewhere with just him and the acoustic guitar. Yeah. And on every single album. And um, this one, it's in the right place at the right time. And the songs, each song just builds, comes back down, and everything seems to make sense. So you listen from one end to the other. And that was one of their, of course, one of their, well, it's not their first album, but it's one, the one that put them on the map. Oh, yeah. But, well, that's the one that everyone knows. Yeah, yeah. And deservedly so. It's one of those ones that you need to listen to from front to back so you can understand it.
0: Yeah. Another another album I mean that's kind of sort of like that. Um is actually my next one. Uh we're talking about nineteen eighty Metallica's and Justice for All. Um and Justice for All is my personal favorite of the Metallica albums. Um, the track listing here starts off with Blackened and Justice for All, I have the Beholder. Uh, one, of course, that was the one that everybody knows, unfortunately, because there's so many more good songs on this album. Uh, Shortest Straw, Harvester of Sorrow, Freight Ends of Sanity, To Live is to Die, Diver's Alley.
2: I'm a Diver's Eve rather. Um It's just I guess it it's considered
0: almost like a concept album just about, you know, the um the state of the world at that particular point in time and you know like uh the anti-establishment and like the government's out to get you like all that kind of stuff and I think as one cohesive unit the album is just amazing, and I would put this album up against any other heavy metal album, especially from that time, and anything after it. It's it's uh, one of the only al- Actually, it's one of the only metallic albums that I don't that I wouldn't skip any songs on just because it's that good. I mean, you're talking sixty five minutes here of just. Like, you're just in the zone. Like, you don't want to skip a song. Maybe until one comes on. And I wouldn't I wouldn't blame anybody for that one.
1: This is the one where they... How things fit together. This is the one that they lost to Jethro Tull in. Yeah. And the best hard rock metal. Somehow, Jethro Tull won best hard rock metal performance instead yeah. of this album. Yeah. And, yeah, it was one of the... <clears throat> The uh, co- controversial Grammy moments of all time.
2: Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it was
0: funny, too, because Metallica was all anti establishment like, uh, oh, we didn't want to win a Grammy anyway. And it's like, yeah. you know that hurt a little bit. Yeah. You know it had to hurt. <laughs> that would have pissed me off, too.
1: And, and Jess Rotal wasn't even there because it was like, what are we doing in this category? Yeah, exactly. Not, <laughs> we're not hard rock metal i've but how does that compare to master of puppets do you think i that-
0: i like master of puppets a lot um master of puppets i think is it's definitely my it's my second favorite Metallica album but i mean i i don't know that's that's the thing it's just it's hard with it's hard with those two albums because they are so good and they're both, you know, regarded as some of the greatest uh, metal albums of all time. But I don't know. I think, yeah, Injustice for all definitely tops it for me, but master of puppets has its own, has its own, uh, you know, plus sides to it as well. But yeah, I, I just think as a, as a total, cohesive album. I think Justice for All is the better of the two. But that being said, I do like Master of Puppets a lot.
1: <laughs> and um there's another one that you need to listen to from beginning to end. And it's the great album, David Bowie, Ziggy Stardust. Oh yeah.
0: That's it's, a concept too, isn't it? Yeah, it
1: tells the whole story. Yeah.
0: And every song on the
1: album is really good. Yeah. There's not a bad song on the album. And um that whole character he created, mm-hmm. Ziggy Stardust—the whole thing—it was—it was just that good. And when you put when you put that album on way back when it was out, it was you just started at the front and you just let it go, and he turned it over and just let it go because you had to listen to the whole thing. Yeah, or, or or it just was like, why I shouldn't stop? That's so funny. That was one. It's one of those albums.
0: And Ziggy Stardust was that album that kind of put him on the map too. Yeah. I mean, he was already kind of on the map, but that was the one that, that did it.
1: And there's also... Um, now, The Police did not put did not put out many albums as The Police. But the Synchronicity album... Oh, yeah. Every song on the Synchronicity album is a good song. And that's another album. You start with one and you have to keep going because all the songs kind of lead into each other and um as you know as far as for me that's i mean it was different than their early stuff it was the the you know production on their on this album is incredible their early stuff was more sparse and reggae type but this was more this was more polished and produced but it's still it, it, there's not a, a bad song on it oh yeah and um it's when they were con- i would say when they were at their at their peak as far as songwriting goes cuz it just flows.
0: And the thing, too, is that the fucking... The, the, the main song that everyone takes from this album is Every Breath You Take. <laughs> right. I mean, I'm not saying it's a bad song by any means.
1: I mean, even the title track. Yeah. Um, There's the title track and there's... What's the Synchronicity Part 2, I think it is? Yeah. And um, both of them, they're really different songs. I don't know why they called them... Synchronicity and Synchronicity Part 2 but um, there are definitely uh, two different songs and they're both great and the King of Pain the whole album there's there's a lot of emotion a lot of feeling in that album That's, that's why it works so well
0: oh yeah I'm going to contradict myself here now um I just had Injustice for All as my favorite Metallica album. But the Black album released in 1991, that is an album where you don't need to skip a song. Starts with Enter Sam and ends with Struggle within 62 minutes of commercialized Metallica. But Metallica <laughs> yeah. nonetheless. Yes. And it, it has... I'm, you know, you don't have to listen to it in order. At least I don't feel that way. But... The way that the album flows... It, you know, you start off with Enter Sandman. Then you have Sabbath, True and Holier Than Now, Then you have The Unforgiven, which is like their... You know, one of their ballady type songs. Then you go through Wherever I May Roam, Don't Tread On Me, Through The Never. Then you have the other ballad, Nothing Else Matters. Then, of Wolf and Man, God That Failed... My friend of misery and struggle within. It's just, it's just from start to finish. It's just another one of those cohesive albums that work together. Every song, and it's very. I mean, it was their most successful album, but it um, it's sad that Enter Sandman is the only song in this album that gets so much credit because there's so many other better songs. <laughs> there's
2: um.
1: Another hard rock album, another rock album, Who the Who? Now, when you think of the Who, everybody thinks, okay, well, Tommy. Oh yeah. Like, but no, Tommy. There's some really, to me, there's some really weird parts in Tommy. Like, I like to skip over. There's some like sound effects and things done in there. It's Tommy isn't my favorite Who album. Yeah. Who, Who's next? Is the album that. Every song,
0: oh yeah, who's it, next is
1: great. Every it's I think it's, it's when they're at their peak when you put when you can put Barbara O'Reilly and won't get fooled again on the same album, and then bargain, my oh, yeah. wife, this song is over, getting in tune, going mobile, behind blue eyes, mm-hmm. bargain. I mean they're just it's just one song after the next. Yeah, it's like a greatest hits album. Yeah, exactly, and, and that's why Who's Next is is. Uh, I think does it for the who, every single song, and you have to listen to them because they're all that familiar and that great a song that you wouldn't want to stop because you know what's coming up.:
0: Oh, yeah. That That's definitely my favorite Who album:
1: It's not as co- It's not as cohesive doesn't tell the story that Tommy or Quadrophenia does, but the songs secret themselves.
0: Oh, yeah. Um, let's see here. My next one is also an album from 1991. Ozzy Osbourne's no more tears. This was the second album to feature Zach Wilde, who is my favorite, um, guitar player from Ozzy, but it also features some of the most memorable and best songs that Ozzy has in his catalog. You start the album with Mr. Tinker train, which is just awesome. Um, I don't want to change the world, which actually Lemmy from Motorhead had a part in writing, as well as Mama I'm Coming Home, which is the probably the biggest song in Ozzy's catalog. Um, lesser-known songs like Desire, um, SIN comes after No More Tears, Hellraiser, which is another Lemmy song too, Time After Time, Zombie Stomp, AVH and of course Road to Nowhere, which is another ballady type song. Um, it's just another one of those from start to finish. You don't want to you you don't want the good times to end with this album. Um, like I said, it's it's definitely my favorite. Um, it's my favorite Ozzy album, and I think it features some of his best songs. And if you sit down and listen to the entire thing, I think you might agree with me as well. <laughs>
2: A lot of Ozzy tonight. Yeah, I know. <clears throat> He's been getting brought up a lot today. Um.
1: Okay, here we go. Here's a gimme. Pink Floyd, Dark Side of the Moon. <laughs> That's a gimme. <laughs> yeah. It uh, d- d- starts. It just keeps going. I mean, well, the songs kind of fade into each other anyway, naturally. But it's the story. It's a lot of interpretations. Yeah, you know, the the just the the story of, of life going from your first breath to the end. Uh it just all fits together. <clears throat> and there's not a bad song. Mm-mm. There's not a bad song.
0: Uh money, maybe. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that was the first that was the first hit record in seven four. <clears throat> Nah, that's uh, that's that's one of my favorites on the album, actually. Really? Yeah.
0: I don't know. To me, it's just like money, it's been like overplayed.
1: Yeah, that's the only problem with like, it.
0: Like, it's been like, out of all the Pink Floyd songs, like that one is the one that's just like, it's just hammered into you all the time.
1: The thing that makes that song unique is it was so popular and it's in 7-4. Yeah. Which not a lot of popular songs are. And... um it's got a great sax solo. The guy just yells. Uh, yeah,
0: that's true. And it's like whoa. <laughs> and it's um
1: yeah, it's it's kind of what uh makes that song. And and the guitar solo. And it, I mean the guitar solos throughout that song, yeah. The, the guitar solo on time. Um again, these are just classic guitar solos.
0: Now, I'm reading here. It says Dark Side of the Rainbow and Dark Side of Oz were two names commonly used in reference to rumors circulating on the internet. Since at least nineteen ninety four, the Dark Side of the Moon was written as a soundtrack to the Wizard of Oz. Observers yep. playing the film and the album simultaneously have reported apparent synchronicities such as Dorothy beginning the jog at the lyric No One Told You When to Run during Time and Dorothy balancing a tightrope fence during the line balanced on the on the tightest wave and breathe. David Gilmore and Nick Mason have both denied a connection between the two works. Right. And, and Roger Waters uh, described the rumors as amusing.
1: There was, and when it changes from Black and White to Color, I forget, I forget which song that is. It's the beginning of time, I think it is, when the alarm clocks go off. But there's actually been a couple uh, Pink Floyd tribute bands. There's a lot of Pink Floyd tribute bands out there. Yeah. That have done... The whole album, with Wizard of Oz playing on the screen behind them. That's so funny. As as part of they advertise it, you know, come see us. We're going to do this. Yeah. Play the movie and see how, and and it's like it really does fit together. Like what? It's just it's either it's a weird. It'd be pretty hard to make a movie match the Wizard of Oz. Yeah. That's a big task. Maybe it's just a strange coincidence that all the things kind of fit together. Yeah, it it, is kind of weird. It's one of those urban legends. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, you have to start it at exactly... You have to... There's a certain sequence. They have a whole thing about it. When... when as soon as the credits start or something, you got to start Breathe, the first song. And ha- if there's a timing that, or something. But it, it's, it's an urban legend. But it kind of works. Oh, well, here we <laughs> go.
0: How to view The Wizard of Oz with Dark Side of the Moon. yeah. Okay. Urban legend claims that if you play Pink Floyd's classic album, watch the Wizard of Oz's incredible synchronicity. Well, we've tried it and here are the results. Let's see here. Insert Dark Side of the Moon to your CD player. Press play. Once the album starts to play, press pause. Then press the track re- rewind, take it back to the very beginning. Set your CD player for album repeat. Start the Wizard of Oz DVD. We recommend going into the menu and choosing subtitles to play the movie because it lets the music take to take the spotlight. All right.
1: right there. Wait for the third time. Yeah. Once he
0: roars for the third time, hit play on the CD player. Press mute or turn down the volume on your TV. Confirm the album and the movies are in sync. According to eHow, when you see the credit produced by Mervin Leroy, the credit should be facing amid the transition from speak to me to breathe.
1: <laughs> They even have websites for this. (laughs) I'll tell you when this started.
2: Yeah, that is crazy. Yeah. Let's see. Pink Floyd denied the rumor. Absolute nonsense. It's
0: all based on the sound of music. Let's see here. Where the rainbow fits nicely with the iconic uh, light light splitting. Prism design used for the album's cover art. Great Gigs in the Sky, which sounds like the perfect name for a song to go with a movie about a tornado. <laughs> um
2: Oh, wow, so running it out in the hold up. Oh yeah, you have to run it
0: two and a half times for the for the length of the movie. That's funny.
2: Huh.
0: Okay, here we go. Speak to me slash breathe. Don't be afraid to care. Leave, but don't leave me. Dorothy shares Miss Gulch's threats against Toto, but Annie M., who sidetracked, trying to tend to baby chicks in a broken incubator, snaps, Dorothy, we're busy. Okay. Look around and choose your ground. Dorothy searches the farm yard for someone
2: else to talk to and settles on the farm hands. Hmm.
1: That's wild. Yeah. <laughs> Who would have thought? Yeah. Um <laughs> it's a, it's it's a big conspiracy theory, theory, urban legend.
0: <laughs> so, yeah, that's definitely um
1: And of course Pink Floyd's come out with unbelievable albums since then, The, the, the Wall, oh yeah, and Wish You Were Here, Animals. Animals is just incredible. Um And The Wall being such an iconic album. Going along with the Berlin Wall and um, how they played that on top of the wall when they tore the wall wall down. Yeah. But on all those different albums, there there are parts of the album where you get a little lost. While with Dark Side of the Moon, there's never a moment where you get lost. Yeah. And that's what makes it one of those ones that you have to listen to.
0: Well, especially now if you're watching uh, The Wizard of Oz yes. while listening to it, you're not going to get lost at all. No. <laughs> um, Speaking of getting lost, my next pick is 1995's Alice in Chains' self-titled album, also known as the Tripod album. Now, this one isn't necessarily my favorite Alice in Chains album. However, as a cohesive album from start to finish... I like this one the most and I don't have to skip any songs. Um I feel like this is Alice in Chains' laziest album, as I said before on this show. I feel like there was more to offer, but at the point in time with that band and the you know, the addictions that they had and the issues, personal issues they had, I feel like this is the best album that they could have put out. But there was definitely more there's more to, um, there's more on the table that they probably could have done. It's just, it's, it's disheartening that this is the last album to have Lane Staley because I feel like they're, they could have done way more, but, um, from start to finish, there's no reason to skip any tracks on this album. Um, it's a pretty lengthy listen at 64 minutes, but it's 12 songs and, you know, you have a couple six minute plus hitters on here. It's um, just uh, all all around. It's just a good album. And, you know, besides Heaven Beside You, there's really... Heaven Beside You and Again are the two, like, hits or the two singles off of this album. But um, as a whole, I just think from start to finish, this album, like, goes past all the rest. And for all of you uh, Facelifter Dirt fanboys... Go back and listen to self titled again. I think you'll
2: agree.
1: There's um there's an album that
2: when the punk um movement started, you would
1: say late seventies when uh when you had the Ramones and the New York Dolls, hmm. that whole thing. There was punk and there was rock. And the the one album that I think kind of bridged the gap was The Cars' first album. Yeah. And if you listen to The Cars' first album, there isn't a bad song on it, and you can listen to it from the beginning to end. Yep. And that they kind of bridged the gap between the two genres, made punk more popular because it was more melodic, and it was some studio musicians who got together and they worked great and they became, you know, megastars. And they had, I don't know how many hit albums they had, three or four, if not more. But the first one was a real trendsetter and it doesn't have a bad song on it.
0: No, and, and looking at the track listing here, every song on here was a single and a hit in its own right. Like honestly, like if you were to make a Cars greatest hits album, which I'm pretty sure there is, it would have
2: this entire album on it. Yep. Let me see here. Is there Is there a greatest hits? I don't know, I can't see one. Yeah. I think they do have a greatest hits. But you're right, but most of these were released Compilations. Here we go. Greatest Hits. Yeah, most of most of that first album is majority of the album. Cars Anthology, Complete Greatest Hits. <laughs> um, most of that most of that first album's on there. The Essentials. <laughs> Most of that first album on there, one on that yet again. That's funny.
1: And Rick Kasich being the, the kind of the leader of the band. Um, I mean, it's a shame that he died early. Yeah. Died young of, of cancer, I do believe. And so he was very talented. Because yeah, they call it rock new wave power pop or whatever. Mm -hmm. It was rock and new wave. It wasn't just new wave. And it wasn't just rock. It was both. Oh, yeah. But I think that's one of them that when you put it on, the songs kind of go together. You're like, no, this one's next. Oh, this one's next. And you just let it go.
0: Now, another album like that, I would have to say is the 2004 release from Lamb of God, Ashes of the Wake. Now, Ashes of the Wake is a Lamb of God's third album. And every song on there is just incredible. They were a band that were breaking new ground with everything they did. Every song on here had something new to offer you. And it just left you wanting more until you got um you know until you got to Sacrament. But I mean, you have songs like Laid to Rest and Hourglass and You Have Something to Die For, Emerita, Blood of the Scribe, As of the Wake, the Instrumental. It's just great. All around great. And this is actually the they did a live stream last year for this album and they play this album in its entirety. And this is the one that me and Steve sat up in the backyard with the projector screen and watched the live stream of this. And it was great. Actually, it's one of the only heavy metal albums I actually own on vinyl. So that should say something.
1: (laughs) They're not as... I guess they're well-known in the heavy metal um, genre, but not as... Popular as they're not mainstream, yeah, metal I mean, band. I mean, not like Metallica or even uh, or even Slayer. Like,
0: yeah, no, they're they're not they're because that's the thing though. You're able to market Slayer and you're able to market Metallica mm-hmm. to be able to play them on the radio. You could never play a Land of God song on the radio, which is yeah. unfortunate because I feel like you know ex- you know extreme forms of metal are looked down upon and. If people would just give it a chance and actually listen to it and like get past the vocals part. Like, trust me, there's some vocalist screamers and I don't like either, but if you can get past that point or even find the melody in it, which I think is me and Steve had talked about this before, which is what I believe makes Lamb of God. So great is that they're able to bridge a gap in between commercialized music and various forms of extreme metal by implementing you know like melody and actual song structure and just technicality in music and um yeah i think uh ashes of the wake is definitely an an example of what they can do
1: and they the, they're always had a, a stage slot in Ozfest mm-hmm. cause there were, the mm because they were they were just, well,
0: I mean, they still are to this day, but back then as an up-and-coming extreme metal band or, you know, heavy metal band, groove metal, speed metal, whatever whatever anyone wanted to call them, they they were one of a kind. What makes Slayer more marketable? I guess just because of the giant fan base that it has. I mean, the thing is, like back in the back in the 80s and the well, yeah, back in the 80s, like, bands screaming and shit into the microphone wasn't so acceptable. And then bands like Metallica and Megadeth and Anthrax came about, that whole Big Four thing. And people just love Slayer. I I don't see it, but... <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, I mean, you, they do have a huge, just a huge fan
0: base. Insane fan base. Like, yeah. crazy fan base. Like, yeah. when I saw... It was... uh. Cannibal Corpse, Amon Amarth, Lamb of God, and Slayer. When the show started, well, we weren't there for Cannibal Corpse, of course, unfortunately. But when Amon Amarth came on and we're at the, you know, uh, BB&T Center in Camden, Mm -hmm. we look back, you can still see grass. There's barely anybody there. Lamb of God plays. There's more people. You know, it's like starting to get crowded. The set change happens to Slayer you look in the back you couldn't see you can't even see like the the back like wall because there's so many people there. it was just it was crazy, but that's the type of fan base Slayer has like I said, I don't get it, but there's some people that really enjoy Slayer <laughs> I only got one more here. What about you Michael um
1: I have about There's about seven I. I think six or seven more I have. Um, going away from the, the metal back to, I guess you would call, it in the seventies. Um, there's a, there's a lot of Steely Dan albums, a lot of great songs, a lot of session. But if the one album that you can listen to from beginning to end is is Asia, I think Asia was their greatest um, creation. Okay. Um. <clears throat> It had a couple of hit songs on it also, but the rest of the album is really good. And it's, it's, anytime I put Asia on, I put on the whole album. Nice. I don't, I don't know how you would...
2: How do you classify Steely Dan? <laughs> well, they call... Well, Wikipedia calls them American
0: jazz rock.
1: Yeah, I guess. Yacht rock.
0: Yeah, Yacht Rock that's that's the new one now. Yeah.
1: But it, it won I won a lot of awards. And um and it should have. I mean there was great musicians on it. It was really great songwriting.
2: Um Yeah, the whole album. If you look at the, the track list. That's funny. Yacht Rock.
1: Yeah, I know. <laughs> but starting out with Black Cow. It, it, it's just a good, you know, beat. Asia is just incredible. This this piece of music, that whole piece of music, is the title track. Uh, Deacon Blues. All they they fit together. These songs, and um, the side two that fits together too.
2: I'm sitting here looking up what um what bands are considered Yacht Rock here. There's like,
0: it's a very big list. It's getting bigger all the time. Chicago, <laughs> Crosby, yeah. Stills, Nash and Young, the Doobie Brothers, Earth, Wind and Fire, Fleetwood Mac. No, hold on. New wave of Yacht Rock. Oh no. is the know. Eagles and Fleetwood Mac, Robert Palmer,
1: Farner, Darrell, John Oates, yeah. Kenny
0: Loggins.
1: Billy Joel. Michael
0: Jackson's uh, Yacht Rock along with Michael McDonald. Yeah. George Michael, Toto, REO Speedwagon, Philly Dan, Carly Simon, Santana. Gino Vanelli.
1: <laughs> uh, Gino <laughs> Vanelli is such an incredible musician. It's a, it's a shame that um, I don't know if it's a stigma or what he has about him, but he's, him and his brother are incredible musicians. I just don't get
0: this. Like, how do you have a new wave of yacht rock? Like if all these bands are like 40, 50 years old,
1: get to us, get, get us Uh, on social medias.
0: Help us understand this a little bit more.
1: Christopher Cross, I think was the original yacht rock. (laughs) I think it was when they, and he did the songs when they started playing the song sailing. I think that somehow started the genre. Of Yacht Rock. The song (laughs) Sailing by Christopher Cross. I think that was the foundation of Yacht Rock. (laughs) That's so funny.
0: But it's just such like a huge broad list of bands that normally would have nothing to do with one another. Mm -hmm. Uh, Hall & Oates, I forgot that I missed them. Now, I think Hall & Oates, I think that's like Yacht Rock. And it's like it's... Like it's like,
1: uh, yeah, they're not heavy at all. Yeah, they're not heavy at all. They're all pop, um, blue eyed soul. Yeah, that's that. Yeah, that's what they are.
0: What's saying right here, the term yacht rock did not exist contemporary. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Um, music from 1975 to 84, adult oriented rock or West Coast sound.
1: Wow, there it is. Exemplified by Christopher's Cross anthem song, Sailing. There it is. That's where it came from. There there it is. I didn't look at this before either. (laughs) That's so funny. Yeah. Okay, so the rules
0: are the music has to be smooth even when it grooves. More emphasis on the melody than the beat. Keep the emotions light even when the the sentiment turns sad. Always keep it catchy no matter how modest or deeply buried in the track list the tune appears to be. Wow. <laughs> Not wrong. <clears throat> you learn something new every day here on Rage Against the Mainstream Podcast. Um so the last one I have here is uh, the 2006 release from metalcore band Atreyu, A Death Grip on Yesterday. Now... This album is my favorite of theirs, without a question. Um, Every song on it is, I, I think it's great. I mean, metalcore is something that, you know, it's a taboo thing and, you know, huge elitist thing and whether or not you like it. But they were one of those bands that were starting to be able to bridge the gap in between, like, commercializing heavier music and like staying true to the form and um, like they came out the same time as like Avenged Sevenfold and stuff like that and unfortunately Avenged Sevenfold was the band that took off and at not Atreyu because I feel like they were better and uh, yeah so Death Grip on yesterday that
2: came out in 2006 that album is great from start to finish you want to get in the last couple
1: yeah, I'll run, I'll, I'll run down these. These are, again, we're going back to Yacht Rock a little bit. <laughs> um, Billy Joel, The Stranger. Okay. That album um, doesn't have a bad song on it, and, it's, and it's, it's really good to listen to all the way through because there's, there's a theme to it, and it's really a good album. Um, U2, The Joshua Tree. Oh, yeah. That's one of the ones that doesn't have a bad song. Even though I'm not a big U2 fan, that's one of their, probably the, their best album. And because it has all the, the musics there from song to song to song.
0: Yeah, um, well, that's the thing, too, that it's almost every song on that album. Yeah. And, you know.
1: And there was also Fleetwood Mac with Rumors.
0: Yeah, Rumors uh, is a big one. Yeah, I
1: mean, every song on that album. Um, There's a real old one, which was, which for me, it was the King Crimson, the Red album from 1974. This is going way back in the roots of progressive rock. The Red album was, because of King Crimson and their writing style, that you had to listen to all the way through. Oh, yeah. That, That kind of music. And, um, what do you think about Guns N' Roses' Appetite for Destruction? Mm,
0: I I actually haven't... Um,
1: I was looking at that one thinking...
0: I haven't actually given that album a full listen in a very long time. I actually forget most of the songs that are on there. Let's see here. Welcome to the Jungle, It's So Easy, Night Train. Night Train's actually my favorite Guns N' Roses song. How to Get Me, Mr. Brown's own Paradise City, My Michelle. I feel like... Appetite for Destruction is an album where I have to be in the mood to want to listen to Guns N' Roses. Um, And honestly, I think the only reason for that, though, is because of how overplayed a lot of these songs are. Mm-hmm. Like, it's unfortunate that, you know, like, Walking to the Jungle and Paradise City get overplayed because it ruins songs like Night Train and Mr. Brownstone and my Michelle and of course you know we can't forget sweet child of mine that yeah. gets played literally nonstop every like four or five rotations a day then you know rocket queen i i do like i do like appetite for destruction a lot but it, i think i'd find myself skipping through okay a majority of that album
1: because <laughs> you've heard it too much
0: yeah exactly it, it is not still, because it's
1: not good but because yeah because it. it's
0: like i yeah. chances are between my walk from the house into the car i've already heard Walking to the jungle yeah <laughs> <laughs> from someone walking down the street playing it but yeah i mean i do like appetite i mean it's definitely one of those um it's an
2: undeniable album i think we talked about it last week too Yeah, there's there's probably about
1: another hundred of them, but I think (laughs) that's...
0: All right, so what do you guys think? Do you agree with what we have on our list here for unskippable albums? Do you have any that you you think that we should have brought up? Is there ones you wish we brought up? Do you think that we talk about Van Halen too much? Get us on our social (laughs) media accounts.
1: And then we went, we went all over. The, we, went, we went from Steely Dan to, to Lamb of God. That's a big yeah, jump. Yeah, there, there's... <laughs> that's a big well, that's jump. the thing, you yeah, know. That's a big jump. So we, we, <laughs> we, we, we ran the gamut on this. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: You know, and I feel like most of my lists are always centered around, you know, like 80s and 90s metal, but I think I, I think I did fairly well with spreading this one out a little bit. But find us on our social media accounts. Instagram... And Twitter, at podcast, Facebook.com slash podcast, YouTube search, Rage Against the Mainstream Podcast, and of course, our email, podcast at gmail.com. But let's get into our suggestions for this week. What do you got, Michael?
1: Well, I don't know. We're talking about the Who a lot for some reason this week, and I have my Who t-shirt on <laughs> for some reason, but I know we talked about Tommy being their most popular and this big Rock opera, the first rock opera and all this. And we talked about Who's Next being the album that every song's great. But there's the Quadrophenia album um, that I like better than Tommy. I would recommend if you have never listened to The Who, Quadrophenia. It's a rock opera, but it's heavier than Tommy. And I like it better. I would recommend listening to it because it's got a lot of great melodies and great rockers on it.
0: What's your uh, standout track off of that?
1: Uh, The Punk Meets the Godfather.
0: Okay. Nice.
1: Yeah, it's it's one of those albums. Yeah, it's just Quadrophenia. I I like it better than Tommy.
0: My suggestion for this week is actually a new release from sludge metal band Green Lung. Uh, The song is called Old Gods. Um, it's off their new album from, uh, October 22nd, Black Harvest, um, fans of green lung or that sludge doom stoner metal. This is definitely, uh, something up your alley. And especially if you like their past releases, um, yeah, can't be beat. It's definitely one of those, uh, like acquired taste type bands, You know, for bands that um, like the earlier Black Sabbath stuff, and you know, just sludge and doom. They're a newer band. Um, they've been around for a little bit now. Green Lung. I think you may have heard them before. I may have played them for you once or twice. I I actually, I think it sounds familiar. I think it's something you might be interested in. But until then. This is another episode of Rage Against the Mainstream Podcast. We're going to hop off here and we're going to go listen to some Green Lung. Yes. But once again, you can find us on our social media accounts. Facebook.com slash podcast, yes, Instagram and Twitter at podcast, YouTube, search Rage Against the Mainstream Podcast. And of course, our email, podcast at gmail.com. But once again, this is Rage Against the Mainstream Podcast signing off for the evening. I'm Bill. And I'm Michael. Have a good night, guys. Thanks, Thanks, Thanks for, for listening. listening.